Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Chris Bennett, principal for Bennett Build Construction. Chris has a broad range of concrete and flooring construction experience. His firm's clients include Adidas, Intel, JCPenney, and Nike. Chris is a proud U.S. Navy veteran and understands the value of working as a team on integrated project design. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Tats, and good morning to you. Yeah. Tell me more about your uh, background, Chris. How'd, how'd you get going on this? Well, the introduction to construction for me came after retiring from the Navy. I knew that I wanted to be building. I wanted to specifically be in construction, but I did not have an architecture background or perhaps even what would be considered a traditional route, but I knew I wanted to build. And an opportunity came up with uh, Husqvarna Construction Products, Swedish firm that is uh, quite prolific in their mechanical engineering products for grinding, sawing, drilling, manipulating concrete. And they were looking for essentially an architectural port, architectural sales representative to go and help engineering architectural firms solve some of their problems. And as luck as fate would have it, I got that job and started my career in construction. It was, it was wonderful. Perfect. Now, you, you mentioned that you had a Navy uh, background. Did sort of your Navy background help, help you with sort of what the uh, construction industry sort of presented itself? It is. It has been very helpful and not just very helpful. I think it's been uh, unique in that I was a uh, crypto linguist. Mm. So you are the focus on words, how people are using words, context, and not only the cryptologic language, but whatever foreign language that you're using for that. In my case, Mandarin Chinese. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you really have to be paying attention. And mm -hmm. I deal a lot in my, my current role, as well as when I was at Husqvarna or Tau Group with specifications. And it's all high-level administration. It's the non-visual elements for design. And you need to have your drawings, your renderings, really be a, a, a true partner, I guess, to say with with the construction specifications to pull things off. And and the devil is in the details, as they say. So absolutely, uh, having that that strict adherence to really paying attention to how and, and what people are saying absolutely translates to success, no pun intended, <laughs> with the construction documents, construction specifications. Yeah. So now I understand why I get confused. You need a background in code breaking to figure this all out. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> Certainly with some members of the project team. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. So what sort of, um, you know, in the, your specification world, what sort of uh, challenges do you come across? Sure. The, the biggest one, actually, I think is language. And with concrete, you have to remember that it isn't a prefabbed material that you're shipping already that's the right color, the right size, the right shape, the right texture. It's everything is being built on site. And so with having this in mind where your job site is actually serving as a factory to create concrete, whether it's structural, whether it's architecturally exposed or polished concrete, I, I do a lot of that. It's, it's thinking that, okay, we're not, we're not just building as an installation. We are absolutely fabricating from scratch. And that, that is the, the biggest challenge in terms of, of communicating with the, the constructors and the designers is to get everybody talking that same language. And as my good friend Keith Robinson out of Dialogue in Edmonton, architectural firm says, constructors and designers, different members of the project team will sometimes have a different understanding of the end purpose of the material, in this case, mm. concrete, for a variety of reasons. And so the big challenge is always to get everybody on the same page and using some type of nomenclature that is that is so that the estimator and the specifier are talking, of course, the same language. So owner expectations are met. And you're not asking someone to do something they don't understand how to do. So it's, it's real important to have that communication, to have that language. Okay, so is this clarification done through a document, a series of meetings? How do you figure out if someone is clear on what needs to be done and if it's going to be successful? Well, that, yes, meetings, 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 and more meetings. I think the, it's, you need to state what it is that you want, what you're trying to achieve, and then you need to ask questions, and you need to listen to the questions asked of you. Obviously, this seems, I guess, simple enough or maybe even expected behavior, but even myself, I don't want to make presumptions and, and we're all guilty of this, right? You say something and it's very clear to us, but it's taking that time to ask other members of the project team, okay, this, this is what I've said. This is what it means to me. Now, almost like, what do you think I said? As, a, as an example, I'm working on a large project in, in Los Angeles. A uh, global firm is doing a new corporate campus for themselves, and there's going to be a lot of polished concrete. and the uh, approval for the mock-up had been done, and the subcontractor asked if it was okay to use a filler in the polished concrete mm -hmm. mock-up. And I'm like, filler? What, is, what are you talking about? And I didn't know. Design team didn't know. General contractor didn't know. And so we said, well, describe what it is. And long story short... He was calling the product, which was actually an epoxy coating, by the verb that what he wanted to do with the product. He wanted to fill cracks mm. and pop out and voids in the concrete with an epoxy coating, but he was calling it a filler. And, you know, and, and a lot of us were like, is he talking backfill? Is there demolition that we don't know about? Are we pouring a new slab for the mock? I mean, we had a million questions. And so it was just taking that time to ask for clarification. Mm. And 
you're using the word filler. What do you mean by that? And it's very, very simple. But a lot of times, perhaps we, we assume everybody knows what we're talking about. And, mm-hmm. and, th- and that can be very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I mean, everyone's always in a rush all the time. And you sound like you got to slow things down and sort of, sort of plan to make sure everyone's on the same page. I mean, how do you manage that? Because everyone's always in a rush, right? Oh, there's a bid. We're going to, we need to close the sale and, and do this and do that. I think you're are on point. The stress for deliverables for any part of the project team, whether it's uh, suppliers making sure that the right material gets to the job site at the right time, even little things like that, that's hugely important to successfully installing whatever whatever you're trying to pull off. And you have to be very honest with yourself, and you've got to be able to give your client, even if it's going to be bad news, the honest answer. So if someone says, hey, I need uh, new specs, new training scope, new whatever it is by Friday, and this is obviously a theoretical situation, but you know you can't give it to them until, say, next Tuesday because of everything else that you've got to do for other clients. You need to let them know that you cannot meet that. And I am going to need X amount of time to do it correctly. They might choose to get upset with you. They might get be frustrated that it's taking longer, but you don't want to do something quickly. And this, all those details that we just talked about that are so important in pulling off successful builds and getting good outcomes, you, you need to do things right and not right away. And so that would be kind of, mm-hmm. kind of my advice is be very honest and upfront at any point in time during the construction schedule to make sure you're doing it right. Even if you're going to get yelled at because someone thinks it should take a little less time, they probably don't know. They just want it now. That's all they understand. But you want to deliver something mm-hmm. that's, that's useful and complete. And so how do you manage that <laughs> the best you can? But, but you try to, <laughs> to, to deliver whatever is asked for in the, in the best possible, most refined and finished form you can give it. It sounds like you've kind of are good at this and understand this whole process. What do you tell people that struggle with this, that you know, kind of go with it or kind of that aren't maybe the most vocal that sort of to, to sort of step up and do this? Sure. Well, and... It comes to mind with maybe a younger version of myself. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people can relate to this where you're new. You want to do a good job. You want to provide service and add value. And to the point where maybe you become too much of a, let's say, a people pleaser. And Mm. you take on too much. You, You want to do well. So you promise that you can deliver too much without fully, especially when you're young in your career, understanding your own limits, let's say. Mm -hmm. And there's that fear that someone isn't going to be happy, right? That they're not going to be pleased if you tell them they've got to wait. But I would say to tap in a little deeper to that, that value of service, that people pleaser, and ask the question like, well, if you really want to help them, do you just want to give them whatever you can kind of like put together that meets their immediate emotional need for whatever 
is delivered in a time frame, or do you want to risk just a little bit of momentary wrath, but again, give them something really great. And that is the deeper, that is the deeper surface. But I think that's only going to come with experience and getting yelled at sometimes when you put something together too quickly <laughs> and it's horrible and people tell you. Uh, so yeah, it's, yeah, I, I don't know if that's all avoidable, that's, but that would be my advice is to try and think of the bigger picture yeah. of service. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's hard to stand up and, and sort of give the bad news, but I guess in the long term it's easier. It's like kind of the hard, easy opposed to taking the easy route. Uh, and sort of going along with it and just having the long-term hardship of uh, dealing with the implications. Absolutely. And, and I would also add that you need to add, even in the cold and calculating business of construction and, and design, everybody is human. And mm-hmm. maybe somebody has graduated from an Ivy League school. Maybe mm-hmm. somebody has a position or you know, higher income. But at the end of the day, Everybody's got faults. Everybody's got strengths. Everybody is human. And rather than viewing somebody based on their, their college pedigree or their title, if you're just viewing them as a human being and how can I help you solve your problems and what are you dealing with today and take out all of that, not that it's not important and doesn't weigh in, but ultimately less important things like, like titles and money. If you really focus on helping that person be successful, I think it makes it, I think it makes it easier to talk to them, right? I'm trying to help my friend build yes. a building. I'm not trying to help the, the CEO of whichever property development company is, oh my, you know, now you're changing it. Now you're not even viewing that person yeah. as a person. And so I, I think that is, is critical. If, if you want to help people, you got to start treating people like people. Yeah. Talk to them honestly. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. So yeah, I know it, it uh, rings true for me. And so with, with all this happening in the, in the industry and everything is changing so quickly and moving rapidly, what sort of uh, key trends should be uh, aware of? For concrete, there is a lot happening. And, and I will say that there's so much happening. I'll answer your question for the immediate future, but with the... sure with the caveat of understanding that technologies are getting replaced at breakneck speed. And so to retain mm-hmm. that technical competency or to even speak yes. of kind of what's on the horizon, number one, it's the horizon is always changing. Bigger, better, faster isn't something that's cycled in you know five years or 10 years. I mean, it can be six months, one year. And so to just really keep, keep your eye on the ball for that. Specifically, areas that are very exciting for me are yes. internal cure admixtures. We're starting, I think, finally as a, as a continent to understand what the Romans did and that water is actually very good for concrete. And so maintaining that placement water, fully hydrating cement grains to create as much calcium silicate hydrate as possible adds to long-term strength and durability. And of course, Pat's if something is durable, if it lasts a long time, it's also sustainable. And so a lot, a lot of those, gosh, nano-silica, nano-infused cements are pretty amazing. I'm also working personally 
with some folks from the National Center for Education and Research on Corrosion and Materials Performance via the Corrosion and Concrete Symposium. And one of the professors at University of Akron at Camp is developing using resin from California pine trees, these smart micro-encapsulated corrosion inhibitors. They serve, serve the same purpose as your traditional corrosion inhibitors, but instead of being encapsulated in a shell of different types of metal, some of which are caustic, some of which are poisonous, it's a renewable and natural tree resin. And that's really exciting. And I'm of, uh, gosh, the self-healing concrete. I, I know it's not commercially viable yet, but that anything where you can get the concrete matrix, whether it's biological or through growth of new crystal to start healing itself, that's not only Buck Rogers. We know it is possible. <laughs> and I think that's going to be very exciting. And then lastly, this is not technology specific, but in concrete, I see a general trend to be a little more pragmatic in, in measurements and getting quantitative benchmarks for these performance outcomes. And anything that you can do to raise the bar on education and uh, especially on the, the labor side, you know, there's, there's a difference between labor and skilled labor. And we've got a huge shortage of that in North America. But one of the, the nice things that you are seeing as a result of that shortage is some very, very good ways to quantify what you're producing, whether it's a polished concrete floor, whether it is measuring your FFFL levels, or, or even stain resistance, things like that is all very exciting. Mm. What it'll be next year, I don't know, but that's like my top three or four list right now. <laughs> Absolutely. It changes all the times now. With these new ideas, it's much easier for a company to defend a dated spec than to, to push new ideas through. But how do we make sure the best ideas come through in the industry? Do you have any ideas on that? Short of getting into boxing matches. <laughs> <laughs> boxing match? You've had boxing matches? <laughs> well, I, I can say this as I'm a very spirited guy and... And sometimes, you know, and we're all guilty of it. You know, you get into your, you get into your understanding. And even when you do know the right path, if you don't know how to articulate that and express that value so everybody else understands it, then you almost kind of butt heads. So with any type of, and you just hit the nail on the head. And there's a couple of articles that I've read recently addressing the same problem. You've got technology happening. At such uh, changes happening at such a rapid pace, how do you keep up? How do designers keep up with those trends? How do contractors keep up with those trends? And from a general contracting point of view, when you've got something that works and it already fits into your Excel spreadsheet and you've had success, say the last four or five years doing something, your, your immediate reaction is, I don't know what it is, but it sounds like it's going to be expensive. Tell the owner it's going to be expensive. Can't do something new. And, and, and you kind of get that credit. The amount of pressure specifically that the general contracting community is on, especially in such a boom construction cycle like this, is intense. They have so much work to do 
that it's hard to take time and go, okay, continuing education, I need to learn. And so again, it goes back to not so much telling people, hey, this is a good way, but kind of asking those questions of if we're, we were just talking about internal caring, if we can hold the placement water and we're not losing that placement water, then what type of impact would that make on our moisture mitigation schedule, right? So you don't Mm -hmm. tell the general contractor, do it this way, we're going to save money. You go, if we didn't have to worry about that, let's say, hypothetically, then what type of impact (laughs) does that make? And then they answer the question. And then you can go, well, we could try A, B, or C, and and, and, and these technologies can do that. And you really, yeah. you really need to, to be asking questions rather than, rather than telling. So to, I hope that that helps answer the question. I think so. I mean, I think it applies to manufacturers too, right? They're just used to like, here it is, right? Here's the deal. <laughs> it's revolutionary instead of more of a consultative approach right now. Yeah. And, and you've got a, a, not only a lot of pressure and the responsibility for whatever project you're currently working on, but you've got a very dynamic market. And just because technology is happening quickly, and there are many good products, good technologies that come out, there are also bad ones. But they all get, mm-hmm. you know, some of them get equally as much fanfare and everything. So mm-hmm. designers, constructors, owners, developers, they've got to wade through all of this. And yeah. so, uh, again, it goes back to that relationship and, and trying to help them solve their problems. Yeah. Well, how do you wade through it? You get bombarded by stuff every day, probably. Uh, yes. The big one for me is third-party data. And I, I recognize that it does perhaps create some barriers with smaller firms that might be producing some great products. But usually with the, the size and scale of the projects I'm involved with, if a company cannot afford to have independent testing, then I've got other considerations for the schedule. Can you deliver in the quantity required? Can you be on site to help the installers? Can you be at the pre-construction meetings? Can you actually field something like this? Mm -hmm. And so I just want to recognize, I understand it, it is a barrier, but if I can review legitimate third-party data from a manufacturer that will expressly tell me what the products can and can't do, then it helps me know where to use them, where to put them. And so that would be number one. And then the other one, too, is there's a way I like to treat people. And if you're a, a product representative, supplier representative, I know you're going to know your product and perhaps that field of chemistry or whatever it is better than I do. I know that, mm-hmm. but I still need you to ask questions of me so that you are making sure that I'm going to be using it or specifying it to perform to function correctly. Mm-hmm. And so again, it comes back to, well, you know, Chris, what are you trying to do? What is the end goal? What's the facility going to be used for? What's the type of usage? Is it going to be foot traffic? Is it going to be hard-wheeled traffic? Those sorts of questions from the supplier side, when somebody's really trying to understand what I'm dealing with and helping me solve that for the client, 
that's, I guess, the, the other shoe is not only having the data to, to back up performance and, and marketing claims, but being able to really be my partner and help me solve these problems so that I'm doing the right thing by the owner. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's ask me questions. Find out, find out what the heck I'm trying to do. Yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. You know, not just shoving something, uh, trying to shove something down your throat. So, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, what else are you uh, involved in? What else am I involved in? Yeah, you mentioned uh, you, you had a uh, show that you're doing every year or something. Yes, uh, I thought you were maybe talking about my kids. I am a very proud father, but on the yes. professional side, for the fourth year now. I've had a great relationship with the University of Akron's Enser Camp. And again, just because it's probably bears explaining again, Enser Camp stands for the National Center for Education and Research on Corrosion and Materials Performance. It is a DOD-funded research center established in 2010, and they do all sorts of crazy stuff working with NASA, to help create uh, better treads for, for drones and vehicles that might be used on the moon or Mars. They do coding studies for stealth fighters. They do corrosion. So obviously, that's kind of where the connection for me met, met with them, coincided with them, is if you've got rebar and you've got concrete, how do you make it last a long time? And whether it has been... Uh, in uh, Las Vegas, where we did the first one, or our, our third year here in a row at the University of Akron itself, we're bringing together, much like the Construction Specification Institute does, with all members of the project team, uh, contractors, suppliers, designers, engineers, everybody, we've tried to follow that roadmap, that spirit, but then we also add academia to it. So if there is a problem, if there is an explanation needed, we're at the right time, the right place to get those answers. And then again, try to find ways to take that information and explain it to everybody in great language that's boiled down so everybody understands. This year, we're doing it April 7th and 8th in special partnership with Kent State University, American Society of Civil Engineers, and the Construction Specification Institute's uh, virtual chapter, CSI Next. And so we're going to be talking with young students who are about to graduate with engineering degrees, design degrees, and get them introduced in some cases, or maybe up to speed on the importance of construction documents and taking that education base they have and being able to communicate with other members of the project team. And then we're also going to be looking specifically at coatings technologies, steel technologies, demolition technologies, concrete technologies. Perfect. Now, this stuff, you're involved in lots of innovative stuff right now. Now, at what point in your, your life or your career did it sort of come together? Because, you, you know, you've kind of established yourself in the industry now, but at what point do you feel like you kind of knew what was going on or the career started to take momentum? When did the career take momentum? The, well, I guess I need to tell a little, just a slightly broader story. And sure. when, when I was at Husqvarna, which is a fantastic company, they make just absolutely 
great products, but I realized that you deal with very real, the very real pressures of having to satisfy not only your architectural clients, but you've also got contractor clients, the people that literally go to the store and will purchase a saw or a core drill or polishing grinding apparatus. And in a perfect world, you've got everybody on the project team aligned to meet the owner needs. And as, as you're probably aware, it's not a perfect world. And so there are times when I felt that you kind of had to choose, well, which clients are you going to listen to the most? Because both are important, not that one is more important than another, but you kind of, I felt anyway, that you needed to pick a side. And so I said, I'm going to stick it out. And I am, I am drawing my line in the sand with A&E and owner representation. So that was the, the first big one is, where does Chris Bennett fit in the world? Where am I going to go? Mm-hmm. And so that decision was pretty huge. When did I realize I made it or that it was working? And that's, that's when you share the story of how you can make big changes with simple language adjustments, and you get that confirmation from your clients like, yes, oh my gosh, this, this is a headache for me, and, and thank you. And then you start getting involved in larger and larger projects. And I guess I realized I made it, or at least for the time being, made it is that most, most of my business is coming from word of mouth and people wanting me to help them with their projects as, as a member of the team. And I think that is the difference. That's, that's how I know I've made it, at least with, with some clients, is I'm not the consultant mm-hmm. knocking on the door soliciting services. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, Chris, we're trying to accomplish ABC. Come in here and, and give us a look. What do you think? And that, is, that has made the hard work and, and the time and, and energy invested worth it. That's, that's where I wanted to be. And I'm very, very grateful, very blessed to be able to do that. Yeah, very nice. So you're a busy guy. What are your uh, top three habits or routines that help you uh, stay on track? Ooh, top three habits, routines that help me stay on track. I, with apologies in advance, if some of this seems rehashed, it, it's absolutely true. You need to listen. What are people talking about? What's the problem they're trying to solve? And then what language are they using? And if you can adapt to that language or find that common ground, that's how you will stay involved in actually helping them solve their problem. So that's a number one habit. You've got to to shut up as much as possible and listen to what people are telling you. They'll, They'll tell you exactly what they want, exactly what they need, if you'll be quiet just long enough to listen. And then a big one is constant learning. It is like drinking from a fire hose with all the changes, but as, as much as possible, you need to stay relevant. You, you need to be okay with change or even understanding perspectives changing from one year to the next. Mm-hmm. And you got to be able to roll with it. And then lastly, you got to look in the mirror. You got to be happy with yourself. So you need to work in a capacity where you're able to be yourself. I love to talk about music. 
I love to talk about history mm. and, and I like to work with people that in the, the quiet times in between the grind, that those human elements that, that make the relationships a little more colorful, more meaningful, and you enjoy being alive and what you do. So those are the three things I try to remember. Be yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you mentioned uh, music and history. Can you, can you give us a little thumbnail on what, what you're talking about there? <laughs> so I, everybody has got a secret superpower. I firmly believe this. <laughs> Whether you've recognized it or not, some are more obvious than others. And I am really good at like obscure, esoteric, weird, like musical trivia mm. from, from early days as a human being, high school, listening to different bands and not only enjoying the music, but kind of reading about them, whether it's, I don't know, uh, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen, whatever it might be is... My, my brain is able to contain a lot of useless information. And so I like, <laughs> I like to get use out of it. And so, yeah, so I'll talk about music all day long. And the same with, with history. As, uh, as I stated earlier, a uh, bit of a linguistic background. My undergrad was in international affairs. And, and I've always been interested in, in history. And... And so I like to kind of understand the foundation of, of where things come from and, and why they are just as an enjoyable exercise in itself. I don't have any plans on, on being a diplomat or anything like that, but I still like to, as much of a real life history channel experience I can get in a day to day, it just makes it more enjoyable. So yeah, those, uh, those two things there. Great. And is there anything I should have asked you, but didn't? Anything you should have asked me, but didn't. Maybe. I know you love Twitter. <laughs> I know you love Twitter. Yes, I do. I think more people should share ideas on Twitter. Especially, I, I just don't understand why they don't do that. <laughs> yeah, oh, Twitter is great because you really have to boil something down to an essence. Well, I, I mean, I suppose you don't have to. You can keep tweeting and tweeting and tweeting. But there's almost an art to a good tweet. If you want to get information or express an idea and and you want it to be a little bold or you want it to be a little intellectual or just funny i love mm -hmm. i love horrible uh everybody tells me i love dad jokes i love puns <laughs> i'm like that guy in the crowd that you, that you groan because everything i say is like i'm a stand-up comedian for second graders and <laughs> But uh, yeah, there I, I do I do like, and I've got a lot of work and social life that goes on there, and it's it's a quick way to to keep in touch with everybody. Yeah, Twitter's gonna have to pay me for uh, this <laughs> endorsement here. But uh, yeah, I I do I do like it. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you uh, so much, uh, Chris, and uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much for the opportunity, Tad a great program and happy to be here. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe 
to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.